As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hey, hello. Before we begin, let me share a Christmas offer with you. If you already subscribe to The Athletic, then you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's a great present for any football fan this Christmas. Frankly, because it won't cost you anything. Enjoy quality analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as Tim Spears. Plus, oh, you can hear advert-free <laughs> versions of all of our podcasts if you listen via the app. Say to our to a frankly miserable 2020 and say hello to a lovely, shiny, fully vaccinated 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. Just go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod. That's theathletic.co.uk uk forward slash wolves pod and sign right up for the subscription gift on this week's Molyneux view wolves playing in west bromwich albion colors are thumped four nil at anfield we'll ask why are wolves playing in west bromwich albion colors at anfield <laughs> plus we'll ask whether a diminutive false nine is the solution going forwards whether wolves should play three or four at the back against aston villa on saturday we'll ask villa correspondent greg evans how to beat them We'll ponder whether having fans back for some teams and not others could skew the league table. And more importantly, whether Tim has finally had his boiler fixed. All that plus your tweets, questions and suggestions and any other business at the end. So come on, Tim, we are dying to know. You no longer look like you're up the Alps. Have you had a shower in the last two weeks now? Yeah, the stink lines have gone on Zoom. Amazing. Can you, I am fresh. Do you know? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, had, I went two weeks without hot water and heat, and um, Saturday was one of the best days of my life. I think I just sat by the radiator and I washed my hands with with warm water. It was it was stunning. I went from like that feeling you get on the last day of a festival where you just absolutely stink and you feel terrible. It was it was hideous. But now I feel like a new man. How long did you go without a shower? Two weeks. Oh, that's great. Oh, you're poor. oh no! I'm, I need to be nicer. I need to be more sympathetic. I told you last week. I was fault. having, I was having French washes. It was fine. Could they not get a man out or a woman out in that time? Seriously. Neither a man nor a woman. No, I can't be rescued. 
Okay, well, you are looking fresh and very clean, which, which helps me on the Zoom. Doesn't help anyone listening, but I can assure you he's looking fresh and ready to go. Now, before we come on to crunch the stats from Anfield, fantastic news, Tim, that Raul Jimenez is back home and he's recuperating from his fractured skull. Uh, tell us the quotes from Nuno from Sunday night, please. Yeah, fantastic news. So, I mean, fantastic news from Friday onwards, really. Nuno in, in Friday's press conference kind of gave us an update and for a start that, that Raul is, is okay, he's healthy, as you say, quite cautiously positive. And then he said he expects him to come back and play for Wolves again, which, you know, nobody's kind of said up, up to this point. So that was great to hear. And then before the match against Liverpool on, on Sky, he said he's now back home. We're very pleased he's back home. He's, he's improving and, and getting back to normality. So it's all positive. Connor Cody did a, a couple of interviews as well around the weekend and, and said Jimenez has been firing banter into the group chat and, and everything. So um, we were very kind of cautious about it last week, but now it's, it does seem more positive. He's, it's just unfortunate for him that he had to sit. <laughs> he got home in time to watch Sunday night's game. But yeah, it's, um, it's all very positive news. Thank goodness. Mm. And Nuno said he's going to return for sure. He's going to come back. So we don't know whether that's a, from a medical perspective that for sure he's going to come back and play football or whether that's Nuno being super positive and encouraging and, and showing belief that his player will be able to play football again. Either way... I think it'll be very. I think it'll be very much from a medical perspective. They'll have spoken an awful lot to, to to Dr. Matt Perry, and you know potentially, you know we spoke with Don Goodman last week about the different severities you can get with fractured skulls. So I would say with all the positive talk coming out of Wolves, that hopefully it's down the the lower end of the scale, and um, attention will soon turn as as to when yeah w- w- when he can come back and play. Hopefully, because we don't know details about the type of fracture yet, do we? No, no. We don't, we don't, and we probably probably won't get those kind of details for some time. And frankly, it's not about business, is it? As long as he's um, as long as he's at home and recovering, that's all we need to know for now. Okay. Well, in his absence, no six foot three centre forward, but there was an almost five foot five false nine. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> oh, that, that question is 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 laced with a backstory, isn't it? Really, goodness me, uh, what a what a peculiar evening. I mean, the game itself was sort of the Connor Cody story, wasn't it, really, in terms of his his mistake for the opening goal, which changed the game. Then you had his VAR decision and his and his dive, you know, no contact and etc. And then he had a chance to score um, his first goal in open play in Wolves' colours since Nuno took charge when he chested down. Was it a free kick? And then Fabinho came in to steal the ball and seconds later, it's, it's 2-0 down the other end and game over, really. So... Um, People have lost their minds a little bit on Monday morning, Jackie. Um, social media is, is awash with um, devastation and destruction. There are two sides to this. I mean, it's one game. It's the first without Jimenez. It's away at the Premier League champions, one of the best teams in the world. And, you know, Wolves won at Arsenal last week and they've made the best start ever to a Premier League season. And they're trying a new style and a new formation. And at halftime, it should have been nil-nil. And it was it was quite an even game. The Cody error was the was the difference really. I thought Wolves were playing were playing okay. However, the reason they don't get a pass and the reason we don't let them off for this is because Nuno's obsessed with Wolves competing in games and they didn't compete in that second half and they were so far below the high standards that they've set. And another reason they don't get a pass is they don't do this away at top six teams. They don't do this away at Liverpool. You know, they went to Anfield last year with hardly any time after their unbelievable, euphoric, emotion-sapping 
energy sapping win over Man City. And they went there and they rested a few players and they rested Jimenez that day. And they brought in Kilman and they brought in Vinagra and they lost 1-0 and they probably should have won. They had enough chances to win that game. So my point is they can go to Liverpool with a sort of a depleted team and, and put in a good performance. So to lose 4-0, I mean, it's the joint heaviest defeat of Nuno's reign, the other being 4-0 away at West Ham just a few weeks ago. So it's another bad sign. And defensively, they were shambolic. And I asked Nuno after the game if he could explain that second half performance, and he said he couldn't. And the only time I ever remember him not able to explain something was when Wolves lost away at Huddersfield in the first Premier League season. And they had this massive problem against the bottom teams. They weren't scoring. They were losing against Huddersfield, Watford, Burnley and others. And he said he couldn't ex- couldn't explain it. And obviously that was something that they did improve upon in time. But yeah, I was quite alarmed to hear. I mean, you know, he did give a few explanations overall in his press conference. But to hear him say, I can't explain it. I can't explain why the standards weren't there was concerning. And there was a lot to be concerned about. To paraphrase what he said afterwards, and I did like the fact that he was honest and upfront. You know, I like this in a manager when they acknowledge that things weren't great rather than one of the previous incumbents who said, we're excellent, we're excellent. Is that Zenga? Is that your Zenga um, impression? That's terrible. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great when that happened. Um, at most clubs he's been to. He's still doing it now, actually. But anyway, um, so Nuno said, bad performance, bad game. No doubt about that. He talked about the distances between players releasing gaps and Liverpool taking advantage. He said it's difficult to react to a bad result if you don't keep defensive organisation and being stable and strong, that allows you to react. He said, the tasks that we assigned were clear ones, but we were not okay. So that's basically saying the players didn't do as they were told and what we'd done on the training ground all week, which will be immensely frustrating to him because he prides himself on being a training ground manager and finding solutions, as he said, Ooh, possibly 20 times in his press conference on Friday. That was his main quote that he kept saying. Um, he said, we cannot repeat this performance again. And on Fabio Silva, he says he has to give faster and better answers and we have to support him just as they do with other players. So he was upfront about it. He was clearly baffled by his own team's performance. And I don't know, is that more concerning than just having an off day because there were so many things that did go wrong on the night and it was the, it's not often we look at tactics when it comes to Nuno and say he got that wrong, but you look at that performance and think whatever the intention was, they were miles away from actually carrying it out. Wrong thing. He wouldn't admit it, but but I think in hindsight he would have played a different formation and, and, and different personnel. I think if you're going to play a back four, against very good opposition and I'm not counting Arsenal in that breath at the moment because they're they're just they look pretty hapless if you're going to play a back four away at Liverpool you probably need a different defensive midfielder to be honest you you need you need a Kante type someone strong and physical and obsessed with defending to help that back four but Wolves don't really have that and when when they leave themselves exposed defensively like they did in the second half sort of naked and and cold you know that they look hapless and we've seen that twice. We've seen that against West Ham. And we've seen it again last night. So Nuno's made mistakes. And I've done a piece this morning kind of outlining bits and bobs where I think he went wrong. But the individual errors are alarming. I mean, Cody for the first one, obviously. Cody for the fourth one, because he doesn't cut out the low cross, which isn't like him. You got I don't know what the hell Willy Bolly is doing for that second goal. 
abandoning his, his defensive duties and getting involved in some shenanigans in the opposite half of the field and losing the ball. What he's doing there, I do not know. For that same goal, you've got Semedo just just jogging back, which I think is unforgivable. And Marcel, for the third goal, loses Matip, gives him a free header from a set piece. Again, shambolic, really. Marcel, for the fourth goal, doesn't really come close to cutting out the cross that Alexander-Arnold puts in. And then Semedo scores the own goal, which, which, to be honest, isn't the worst error by any means when you look at that list. So... That's very concerning to me, and that's what Nuno's talking about when he's talking about tasks that they haven't fulfilled after the game. So, yes, we can criticise Nuno for getting it wrong, but the players have got to stand up and be counted. You know, they, these are all these are all international players now, those back four. They're all internationals. They're all experienced. They've got to be doing better than that. You wonder why they made those mistakes, because it wasn't just one. You know, Connor Cody is allowed to make a mistake once in a while, and, you know, the number of times he bails Wolves out, and it was just... Slight misjudgment, but against Mo Salah, you're going to get punished, and that's what happened. But it doesn't excuse the rest of the performance, does it? In terms of Semedo's concentration, is this a genuine concern, or is this a just the odd blip? Mm, he does. He does. We're worry. still getting to know him, aren't we, in this country? We are getting to know him. That's a nice. That's a nice way of putting it. And uh, well, we saw for the Southampton game two weeks ago when he's left Theo Walcott all on his own at the back stick to tap home from two yards. I mean, I write a piece after that game on Semedo, and his stats are pretty good, you know. His stats compare favourably with Doherty compared to last year in terms of what he does in a game. His interceptions, his tackles, his, his, his duels won. Getting forward, he's not bad either. He's only in the air where he's where he's noticeably very much weaker than Doherty because he's he's not going to win many in the air. So his stats are okay, but he's got this, yeah, this concentration levels don't look great to me. And we were warned about this when, when Wolves signed him. And I don't think he looks anything like a £37 million player, which is what Wolves can end up paying for him. But he's still getting used to the Premier League. He's still getting used to teammates around him. And what we've seen with Wolves in the last three seasons is they know what they're doing week in, week out. They know what their jobs are. They know what the formation is. Now, you had a lot of players playing in out of position or in different positions last night. And um, and I think that's why we saw what we saw in the second half. You know, they're used to familiarity and repetition. and They're used to kind of knowing how games will unfold, I think. You know, we've seen time and again, they, they, they take it easy in the first half and they sit deep and they soak up the pressure and then they work out the opposition and then they know what to do in the second half as to how to win a game. I wrote a piece on this at the weekend about Nuno. You know, his, his half-time messages are, are, are genius, you know, players will say. He knows he knows how to map out how they're going to win a game. But at the moment, with a new formation, new personnel, I think everything just feels a bit un- unfamiliar. And if you look at that team, no Jimenez, no Jota, no Doherty. Bolly's fallen off a cliff and he's nowhere near the player he was. Neves, similarly, is, is alarmingly average this season at best the six players there that's more than a spine that's more than half your team that either aren't playing four of them or are nowhere near the standards they're set two of them so that's going to breed a lot of unfamiliarity and inconsistency and I feel like they've lost their identity a little bit and some of that's been forced and some of that is by choice you know we demanded and we requested of Nuno to evolve this team and make them more attacking and exciting and this is what you're going to get now in this trend. It's not just as easy as clicking the new formation button and unleashing it on everyone. It's going to take time to work out. And you take into account a few injuries, which they're not used to. You take into account the lack of pre-season, no break in the summer, and it's all kind of come together. And you're going to get these inconsistencies. Despite that, 
they've still had their best start ever to a Premier League season before the weekend. So we've got to be reasonable about this and say, look, they're trying something new. They're, they've brought new players into the team and you're going to get these mixed, res- mixed results. But what you can't excuse is, is what we saw in the second half. You wrote in that article on Nuno, which I really would urge people to have a look at, whether there's just been a good performance, bad performance, whatever. It's, it's really, really interesting. And you say in there, training is repetitive with few variations from day to day in order to create the familiarity and second nature positioning we see during matches. Players are expected to know exactly where they should be on the field, both with and without the ball. Now, given that injury to Raul Jimenez, the fact that there are so few goals in the team, which we'll come on to in a minute... Nuno has had to adapt. The players have had to adapt because they have to get the goals from somewhere. So Conor Cody, who is adept at scoring goals, just hasn't been in those positions in a wolf shirt for tactical reasons, is now going up. Bolly obviously is going up. But it is a concern, isn't it, with that four at the back, that when those players are going up, you are absolutely your most vulnerable because Semedo is the player that's been staying back, or at least he was in the last couple of games. And while Semedo is extremely quick you do have to worry a little bit about positioning because Connor, for all his fabulous attributes, is not quick. And if you look at the stats from the Liverpool game, the fastest player on the pitch was Nelson Semedo, 33.19 top speed kilometres per hour, Adama Traore being 29. Uh, Connor Cody's top speed was 28. But just making the point that players being used to playing in certain positions and it being second nature in previous seasons where each other is on the pitch because of the familiarity of who's Absolutely. playing in which position, wing-backs. And the partnerships they build up all over the pitch. The partnerships, where Doc's going to be, where uh, Johnny's going to be. They all knew, you can interchange one or two players per match, it wouldn't make too many changes, but the players knew. They just knew who was making which run when. All that's out the window. Partly none of their fault because of Raul Jimenez and partly... Maybe they want to change formation and we've advocated that. So let's, you know, let's put our hands up and say we're in favour of seeing the potential forward options that a back four can bring. But this was Liverpool away, one of the best teams in the entire universe. Let's be clear about that. So any hesitation, any lack of familiarity is going to be ruthlessly exposed as it was on Sunday night. And that's why I thought he changed too much at Liverpool. You know, you've already got a new formation and then you throw in the fact that you've got no focal point up front and this is something that Wolves aren't used to. Since Nuno took charge, Bonatini and Afobi played the first season as, as a focal point and since then it's been Jimenez who hasn't missed a Premier League game since he joined. So you can count on one hand literally five times in the past two and a bit seasons where they haven't started with a traditional striker. And just just to reference a couple of those occasions, people might remember Man United at home last season um, was when Benny Ashley Seal actually started that one game in the FA Cup. Um, They beat Crusaders 2-0 at the start of the Europa League run where Gibbs White played off Jota. They went to Burnley away the season before and played played 3-4-3 with Cav, Jota and Traore. Him and his come off the bench. And then they won 2-1 at Newcastle that same season with Traore, Costa, Jota up front. But this is when they were playing three at the back in these sort of familiar roles. Whereas now to go a new formation, 4-3-3, and no focal point, it just felt like Wolves were, were a little bit lost. And yes, the problem's finished in defence, but I think they started in, in attack. And Jimenez is so good at linking the play and holding the ball up. And that's why I was surprised Fabio Silva didn't start. I think if you're going to play four at the back, they should have done what they did at Arsenal and gone 4-2-3-1. Um, and it was so successful, you know, after Jimenez, of course, had left the field, Silva came in and, and, and did okay. 
If anything, he's at least a distraction for defenders, for the three to roaming around him. But yeah, in hindsight, last night he should have just gone back to 3-4-3 and um, at least they would have had a solid defensive base and then you can work out what you're going to try and do going forward. But yeah, goals, goals are certainly a massive problem at the moment. The stat I found most fascinating was the fact that that's the most times this season that Wolves have actually put crosses into the box and it's the first time this season there hasn't been a centre-forward there. So what was the thinking there? Was it all for Den Donker, who has only ever scored one Premier League goal for Wolves with his head? Uh, I think twofold, really. Uh, one, without Jimenez as that focal point, they tended to go wide and they were sort of relying on Traore and Neto to produce some individual brilliance, really, beat their man, get to the byline or cut inside. Um, and to be fair, that nearly worked on them. For whom, though? For whom? Not necessarily then via a lofted cross, but I think pullbacks and, and other players joining the attack and cutting inside. Because the lofted crosses were coming to nothing. So, I mean, I, I doubt that would be a tactic from Nuno going, whatever you do, lads, go and make sure you put in the most lofted crosses of the season on the first time we're not playing a centre-forward. Not the most of the season, but I felt like it I felt like it was a tactic because Dendonka was busting a gut to get into the box. You, I could see him. I was watching at home. Unfortunately, I couldn't go last night. These these media restrictions that, that we referenced before... Um, but the amount of times Dendonka would pop onto the screen at the last minute as he was busting a gut to get into the box and try and get on a couple of headers. I think that, I think that what that was a tactic and then we've got to see more goals from, from Dendonka. I know Nuno already asks a lot of him in terms of his engine and his work rate and he's brilliant at that. But if he could chip in with six, seven, eight goals a season, it would make such a massive difference. And I think that's a part of the game he's, he's got to improve and he said it himself you know, a while ago now, he needs to contribute more goals. But... Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I saw that stat about yeah the the most crosses of any game this season, and yeah, I think they were relying on individual brilliance from from, from the front three, but there was no kind of consistent route to goal. And what Ruben Neves was doing, I don't know. He was sort of playing in a more advanced role, but just didn't really get involved in the game. Touched the ball thirty two times and got subbed after sixty one minutes, and I just didn't see. <laughs> Maybe he thought that Neves would be playing through balls for Pedence, Neto and Traore to kind of dash onto, but he didn't play a single through ball all night, so that doesn't make sense either. So I don't really understand what Neves' role was either. It was all a little bit confused. You say it was a more advanced role, but according to the Octa stats, he was just marginally, fractionally behind Moutinho and in turn Dendonka's average position as well. So, And there was, looking at the, the graphic I'm looking at, there was nobody in the left wing position as such. The furthest forward player on average was Neto, just inside the centre circle, with Adama Traore to the right, slightly behind him, Pedence behind him again. And you compare that to the equivalent graphic for the Liverpool players, and they had Mane in in an advanced left wing, or left channel position, I should say, and Salah to the right in that position. Um, with their fullbacks further forward as well. There are so many things to look at that no doubt Nuno and the very good uh, tactical analysts that Wolves have will be picking out. But one of the things about the crosses that I noticed, you know, the frustration of the, these balls coming in and really Liverpool's defence, being able to deal with them fairly comfortably. Remember, they didn't have Van Dijk, uh, their by far the best defender in the league. But I just thought more angled balls could be the solution. More angled balls in, because you don't actually have to have brilliant headers of the ball or six foot five players up there. But if you remember the ball in from the short corner from Salah on his left foot in for Mane to head the ball home, 
just like Leander Dendonka when he scored his only headed goal for Wolves in the Premier League. And that was in the 3-0 victory against Everton after Project Restart. And it was a netto free kick from the right. Lovely angled ball in and just a really easy glance header past the keeper Pickford. I think Wolves could have a bit more joy from those kind of positions. We have seen them utilise short corners. I watched every single corner and set piece they've done so far this season a couple of weeks ago and um, yeah they, they have they have tried to do that and there's certainly a case for saying they've got to get better from their corners and free kicks because they're just not creating a, any chances and this is something Nuno's got to think about because goals is a massive problem especially now without Jimenez and I know it's it's you know it's it's, it's freak circumstances and, and you know they're banking on having the, their star striker in the team but this is a situation they've got now they've got five games to January we know it'd be hard to bring someone in in January anyway but for the here and now, he's got to come up with his famous solutions and it's got to be pointed out that without Jimenez, who scored 27 goals last season, and without Jota and Doherty, who scored 23 goals last season, this is all competitions, they've lost, of the 91 goals they scored in all competitions last season, they've lost 50 of them. So that's 55% of their goals out the team. And you look at what's left... And you ask where the goals are going to come from, and there are the answers aren't there for me. And Nuno was asked this on Friday, and and he obviously he's very aware of it. And he said, "Look, others have got to step up." And he kind of ran through a few players and and said, "You know, these guys have got to score more." But when you look at their record and you look at their career history, and certainly in recent times, they haven't got the goal scorers in, in the team. And I'm going to run you through last night's eleven and tell you how many goals they scored last season. Ouch. I'm a little bit scared hearing this. In all competitions for club and country, just to give them a better chance to up their tallies, because this is quite low. So you've got Semedo, <laughs> one from 45. You've got Cody, none from 57. This is last season, all competitions. Bolly, one from 35. Marcel, none from 22. Martinho, one from 62. Neves, six from 58. Dendonka, six from 58. Traore, 6 from 54. Neto, 5 from 44. And Pedence, 6 from 40. So you add up their totals, that's 32 goals. In all competitions, that's a lot of games. Some of them have played sort of 50s, 60s there. And they've still only scored 32 goals. Now, Wolves scored about 40-odd, I think, in the Premier League last season. So they're, they're, they're down, they're way down. That's 32 goals from 475 combined appearances. There are not goals in these players traditionally, so Nuno's got to find something different, either to get goals out of them or to bring players in in January, because history suggests that they're going to now score fewer goals this season, and that's going to be a problem. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, Nuno likes to talk about finding solutions from within, from the group of players he's got, which is all he can do for at least the next month. So just focusing on that for a moment, and you pick out individuals, surely he could be getting more from Ruben Neves, for example, in terms of that end product. You could say that's not his main game, it's to spread the play and it's fabulous passing, playing players in which he's perhaps not been doing enough of certainly not at Anfield but 
Nick Upshaw asks, where does Anfield leave Ruben Neves? First player sacrificed and behind Joao and Donk, if we're playing in the midfield too. Had a couple of games earlier in the season where it looked like he could get back to his best. If we get a big money Jota-like bid, do we sell? No, no. I, I, I think it's too early. So how do Wolves get the best out of him then? He was doing, you know, he was doing okay. If you, if you rewind just a couple of weeks, it was Matinho who wasn't playing. Matinho was didn't play a minute at Leicester, and Neves had had that great game against Crystal Palace where he completely ran the show, albeit they sort of allowed it to. But you know, he showed how good he, he can be that night when given the opportunity. So I think this is part of the evolution, and Nuno needs to work out how to get the best out of his forwards, but also the best out of his midfielders as well. And like I said, if they are going to play a four. I'd like to see more of a defensive midfielder brought in. Um, the Kante type is the classic, but Wolves just don't have a play like that. And Neves and Matinho are far too similar. I think I'd, 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 there's no way I'd be getting rid of Ruben Neves. You know, he's, he's having an inconsistent season, but if anyone can get the best out of him, it's, uh, it's Nuno. Okay, what about... You can slap me right down here, lad, if you like. Just a thought. What about a back four, but not with Conor Cody in it? with him instead in a defensive midfield role and spraying those traditional passes around from there instead and getting stuck in and protecting the back four so he can still organise. Wow, blind. what a maverick. What a maverick. You just... <laughs> and he can still go up for corners knowing he's got another couple of centre-halves behind or wherever. It's, uh, that's an interesting suggestion. Yeah, so he started his career there, didn't he, when he came to Wolves 2015. Um, certainly offers something that... that that the others don't in terms of tackling abilities, a bit quicker, he reads the game so well. Matinho and Neves don't really do that from a defensive point of view. You know, they get taken on so often. I brought that stat up a couple of weeks ago that Matinho is the most dribbled past player in the Premier League in the last two seasons by a distance. They need to come up with, with, with something different. And I'd also like to see Vitinha given a few more minutes as well, kind of going forward. You know, we talk about this creative midfielder who can unlock defences, oh, yes. and I know he's young yes. as well as they all, as most of them are. But I say what you look at the form Gibbs White was in for Swansea before uh, before he got his injury out for three months. He'd he'd be great to get a run in this team at the moment if they're going to play three midfields and running through the lines, and they need a bit of help uh, in the final third. Someone like him, or yeah, Vitinha. Let's. Let's see what he can do, because that midfield just didn't really work very well last night. I know they've got Vitinha, but Gibbs-White is definitely nailed on for the season, is he, for Swansea? I can't see them bringing There's him back. There's no recall clause for January. Back, especially. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. I don't know. It's, it's not really come up, so I, I haven't actually um, asked the question on that one. But he's still out injured for now with his ankle injury. It's three months he was going to be out for, so I don't think he'll be playing for a few more weeks yet. Vitinha has looked a talent, though, hasn't he? We haven't seen much of him, but we, we saw in the, what was it, Portugal under-21s, was it? Yeah, when him and Neto, yeah, absolutely. F- fabulous, fabulous goal in there. Lovely, lovely touch. Touch, technique and awareness. Now, you need far more than that to succeed in the Premier League. And, and as we've seen with Fabio Silva, you know, it's a lot of it's to do with physicality and, and intensity. But um, but yeah, with a lack of creativity going forward... Um, why not? Let's see more from him. I'm very keen to see more from Vitinha. Wolves first asks, have the last two transfer windows been as bad as they appear and how to approach January and then the summer windows? We've got to be careful we don't swing from major positive to major negative every week, don't we? I mean, we, we try to be balanced in everything we say, but you can understand Wolves fans feeling that after this game at Anfield that, oh, it's terrible, there's no centre forward and how on earth has it come to this? And it's a valid question to ask, but it's not all doom and gloom one week and all perfect the next is it in reality no definitely I think the the, the silver issue is, is a key one and if you look at Sunday night's game 
it, it didn't start and and without that kind of focal point which they've always had they looked a little bit lost so for me a january edition is a must in that area we've seen them struggle a lot in the past couple of years to bring in a backup striker for Raul Jimenez and they tried with Catrone obviously who kind of came and went who was a victim of when they changed the formation they went from 3-5-2 to 3-4-3 and suddenly he couldn't get many minutes and didn't show the right attitude to try and get back in the team which Nuno didn't like and off he went the season before they tried to sign Tammy Abraham which people remember when he was on loan at Villa scoring a lot of goals in the championship and they tried to bring him in that January and were very very close to doing so but ultimately Abraham decided to stay at Villa where he was playing every week and it ended up being a great decision for him because they won promotion he was the hero and then lo and behold he gets a chance in the Chelsea team next season and his career has gone from strength to strength England international etc he didn't want to come to Wolves to play second fiddle to Raul Jimenez and sit on the bench and his career could have stagnated if he'd done that, let's be honest. So that's what players will look at. Um, yes, Wolves are, are a big club, huge aspirations, very ambitious. They can pay a lot of money. But if you're not going to play every week as a striker, as a goal-scoring striker, then then your career's going to suffer. So the difference now in this January is that there's an open door to come and be a main striker for Wolves. That doesn't make it much easier to sign someone in January, but it makes it a little easier. And we know... It's traditionally a difficult market with which to try and bring players in, let alone prolific, confident, goal-scoring strikers. But if anyone can do it, it's old Mr Mendes. So let's see what he can offer because they do have to bring somebody in. I can't be the only Wolf supporter who <laughs> saw Olivier Giroud score four goals the other night. And oh, thought, yeah. No. Well, he'd be perfect. Come on, yeah. man. Your timing's horrific. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of that player. Weirdly, Chelsea managers haven't always been, have they? Or Arsenal managers haven't always been. And French managers tend to have been. And I was at the World Cup final seeing him help them lift the trophy. And you know how valued he is by them. But um, that was just the worst timing. Yeah. Not... I say that not to say the Wolves are remotely looking at him, by the way. It's just the sort of player that you would think... But he'd be perfect, wouldn't he? Absolutely perfect. His hold-up play, his heading ability, his scoring ability off either foot, being a good teammate. I mean, ah, anyway. Somebody like that, please, would be phenomenal. The the silver issue is is a big one. Nuno clearly doesn't trust him or else I think he would have started last night. But you've got to remember he's he's, he's 18, you know. Um, We're kind of asking Silva to, to be Raul Jimenez. Um, not just in terms of goals, not just in terms of assists, but link-up play, headers, creativity, passing, defending from the front. It just shows you Jimenez is a phenomenal player. I guess we, we take him for granted, really, and, and you don't know what you've got till it's gone, maybe, but it just shows you how good he is. It's too much to ask of Silva, I think. Even Jimenez wasn't Jimenez when he was 18. You know, it, it took him many years to get to the level he's at now. So to ask Silva to be Jimenez now is, is too much... And I think it's also got the potential to sort of damage maybe the lad's self-belief as well. You know, if he comes in, doesn't score, he suddenly becomes a national story, there's national attention on him. I think they want to nurture him carefully and slowly, not throw him in at the deep end. He's got tremendous potential and great technique and he can score goals at youth level. But the intensity and the physicality of the Premier League, while learning a new system, while getting used to new teammates, I think it's too much to ask. We saw Dendonka, Traore, Pedence seasoned professionals and in the case of Dendonka a full Belgium international they took six months to adapt and be blooded into this Wolves team so Silva a kid with one league start to his name I think before joining Wolves this summer it's just it's just too much to ask having said that I would like to see him evolved a little bit more in the next few weeks because 
at the very least, he's a distraction to centre-halves and he can free up Neto, Penence and Traore, like he did at Arsenal, to do their thing around him and produce these kind of scintillating fast attacks. Look, I mean, we have to we have to debate this because it is on the lips of a lot of Wolves supporters and it's not a case of being wise after the event. We've talked about this plenty before, haven't we? What if Jimenez gets injured? And you can't say, oh, well, he doesn't get injured because what happened to him wasn't a bad hamstring tear or any kind of muscle injury. It was that, well, we know what happened and it was entirely unavoidable from his perspective. So we do have to ask the question as to why... When Wolves started the season, they didn't have another option other than an 18-year-old kid who only turned 18 in July, who had started one league game and scored one league goal in his career as backup, knowing that they couldn't go into the market again until January. Is it because we know that they don't just sign anybody and, and that they did try to get somebody else, but the right player wasn't available, so they went with what they had, which is fine? Or was it because they thought, no, this is absolutely fine. And if Raul does get injured... We have solutions within the side already. I think the, the characteristics they want from a central striker are so specific, and you know Jimenez possesses those, and he can score goals and create goals at the same time, that there aren't too many players out there like him, let alone, like I said earlier, players that will come in and happily kind of sit on the bench. So they have had problems with that. And, but this is central to Nuno's philosophy. This is his small squad. This is his idea. He doesn't like senior pros sat on the bench or not in the squad, knowing that they're not going to play. He believes that that kind of creates bad apples, it creates disharmony, it creates friction in the group. It's worked for him, It's only, but it's only aided, it only works if you've got a phenomenal injury record, which Wolves have had. Five injuries they had in 2018-19. None of them lasted more than three weeks. It's just ridiculous. It is, Tim, but sorry, but, but this kind of thing that happened to Jimenez could have happened in the first minute of the opening game at Sheffield United. Yeah, it, it, it could have so done. So then what? And they know that. So was that a Nuno decision, are you saying, that because he doesn't want to have a top striker who could potentially fill in for out knocking on his door because he doesn't like players knocking on his door, according to your article. So was that his decision? Or do you think the club went, well, no, we can't spend £30 million on a decent Premier League centre-forward to have him sitting on the bench every week, as well as this 35-year-old kid. Sorry, £35 million kid. <laughs> that's me. I'm a 35-year-old kid. Um, that's, um, it's, definitely, it's definitely Nuno's decision, definitely. They, they tried that, the senior striker, a year before with, with Catroni, and it ended horrendously, and they wasted a lot of money there. So... This is, like I said, this is central to his philosophy of having a small squad. And him and has played every single has played every single Premier League game for the last two seasons. So they're anticipating he would have played every game of this season as well. And it is risky. And I think I think they thought they'd kind of found the jackpot with Silver, really, and that he was a young striker with huge potential that can come in and learn from Jimenez and get minutes here and there and get better and contribute more as the season goes on while Jimenez does his thing ahead of him. And We've said this about a few players over the past couple of seasons. Where would what what would they do if Matt Doherty got injured? You know, they've never had a backup right wing back really. Um, only Oscar Burr Rasmussen bits and bobs last season, but other than that, they've had no backup to him. They've had no backup to Cody really. No one in the in the sweeper role for the past two seasons. What happens if Cody gets injured? We've been asking these questions a lot, and they've never had to answer them. But now they do, and they're lucky they've got a window coming up, I suppose, to try and um, to try and rectify that. But. Like I said, they, they definitely need to bring somebody in and hopefully the damage won't be too bad in, in the weeks to come with the five more games they've got. I mean, a comparable situation would be Harry Kane. 
at Tottenham because he was going to, he's nailed on to start every week and they didn't have, they tried it with Vincent Janssen and he just wasn't quite up to scratch coming from the Dutch league and wasn't an adequate replacement. And it's difficult to get somebody else to sign. Someone like um, Llorente w- was a good option being much older, but with that class, if required, you know, that's another option that they potentially could have somebody like that who doesn't demand to play every week but has that quality um but of course when Kane was injured they had Son who could play in that position who as we know is just the most phenomenal footballer um and Wolves having sold Jota that was their decision they were happy to do that have young players looking to step up in the likes of Neto who is stepping up I think it's fair to say isn't it the way that he's committing himself and dedicating himself to to playing every single week and Pudence who's kind of one game on, one game off. Is that fair to say? A little bit harsh. Neto is exhibit A in how Wolves sign players. He was young, he's Portuguese, he's from the Mendes stable, he's been brought in to improve and will will end up being sold for a lot more than they bought him for. That's the idea. And also he was nurtured through last year. He was he only started seven or eight Premier League games last year, Neto. So he's had his year in and out and now he's improved. So Signing a senior player to sit on the bench not only goes against Nuno's philosophy, but it goes against Fosun's philosophy as well because they like to buy players young with potential and then sell them on at a higher price after a few years. So that's why I don't see it happening. But they are going to have to change approach in January to bring in someone on loan because I just don't see them getting through the rest of this season without Jimenez, if that's how long he's going to be out, without someone else to share the load up front and score some goals. Yeah, Fabio Silva clearly has a huge amount of talent. I mean, let's be clear about that. He he does, but it's just a case of whether it's 90 minutes every week uh, being an option. Which it won't be. At the age of 18 and a half. No, like I said, it's asking too much of him. He's not ready. They weren't, they weren't anticipating he was going to be ready this season. And now that Jimenez is out, no. that situation hasn't but changed. But it'd be good if they could still play him in bits here and there so that he keeps his confidence up, maybe scores the odd goal, would be fantastic, and acts as that focal point for the other players to be able to get the best out of them. Because that's what it's about. It's not about individuals. It's about getting the best out of the team as a whole and finding the right blend isn't it so it could be that he is the focal point one week and then horses for courses another week they do what they did at Anfield but not against players um, who are quite as good as those players at Liverpool because they're certainly not going to face those every week. I completely agree and I think that's what we'll see in the coming weeks and I think if you look at the last two games I think 4-2-3-1 is ideally suited against weaker teams teams where you want to attack a bit more and get more players going forward but against teams like Liverpool, teams like Spurs in a few weeks, I think you've got to revert to your 3-4-3 and have a couple of players on the break up front, Traore and Neto perhaps, Traore and Pedence with Neto a bit deeper maybe, to hit them on the break. So I think I think we've got to see a bit of horses for courses for the next few weeks. And your thoughts on Traore being a potential option up front? We know about his lack of goals, but he doesn't tend to play in that advanced focal point role, does he? No, I think you can do it when... You're basically sat in in an Alamo type situation and defending for your lives and then he can produce something from nothing on the break and, and he wins his fair share of headers, but they're not going to be well directed. That's not his game. So um, I, I, I like what I've seen from him in the last two games. I thought he was great at Arsenal. Without him, those two goals don't happen. You know, he's not registering an assist there, but th- those are the those he was brilliant for those two goals. And I thought he had some decent moments against Liverpool. You know, he, he put Fabinho on his arse and then stuck one just past the post. It was a brilliant, brilliant little movement. So... Four two three one really really suits and gets the best out of him and a few others in the team. So I'd like to see that certainly against Villa this weekend. Well, the good news is it is Villa next, who smashed seven goals past Liverpool. No red cards for Liverpool, by the way. It was against eleven Liverpool men that day. Just a good old fashioned hammering. But anyway, it's Villa at home, twelve thirty on Saturday. And let's bring in now Greg Evans, who's the Aston Villa correspondent for the Athletic. Hi, Greg. 
Hi, Jackie. Villa without a game at the weekend because of the postponed match against Newcastle United. But generally speaking, how do you say Villa fans are feeling about their team at the moment and ahead of the trip to Molyneux? Yeah, it feels like they've lost their way a little bit of late. Um, what was a, a pretty much a brilliant start to the season has now turned into almost an average one, really, because um, yeah, they won the first four games, but they've they've now lost four of the last five. So it's left a little bit of a bit of taste in in some Villa fans' mouths as well, because they've been on the wrong end of, of VAR decisions, which always seems to amplify the pain, doesn't it? But we're just really finding out about what this team are um, and what they're capable of. Are they the Villa team that? beat Liverpool 7-2 and Arsenal 3-0 or are they the team that lost to Brighton, West Ham and Leeds? It's, it's quite hard to say at the moment. And would you say ahead of games that Villa fans are thinking which Villa's going to show up? Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, performances have been pretty good, which is, you know, always a, a bonus. It's just the results have, have taken a turn for the worst of late. But I think Villa fans will be very encouraged with how they played in the last game. Um you know, okay, they lost 2-1 to West Ham, but you know, the performance was very much worthy of a win. So I think if they take that performance into the Wolves game um, and then the game's ahead, they'll probably go on to win more games than they lose this season. What was the difference, I think, mate, between those first few wins and then and then the run we've seen since? Was anything they've, they've done different in particular that's the start of this, this poor run? Yeah, not too much. I mean, there's a little bit of a drop-off in the defence, Tim. You know, they seem to be conceding soft, softer goals compared to what they were doing at the start of the season. There was this real desire to keep the ball out the net uh, in the first three or four games of the season and, and, and Villa kept three, I think, three clean sheets in the first four or five games. So that's dropped off a little bit. They're, they're defending zonally at set pieces and that's caught them out a little bit as well. So Dean Smith said, in post-match press conferences that he's just a bit frustrated really with with how soft some of the goals have been and obviously in the Premier League if you if you give one or two goals away it, it's always difficult to get back so that's just what they've been struggling with really and Ross Barkley missed the last game a big loss there's no other player that can really produce the level of performance that he does for uh, for Villa and um, you know they, they missed him a little bit against West Ham So he is touch and go for the weekend because of this hamstring injury I mean what sort of difference does he make, particularly to the performance of Grealish when they're able to combine? Yeah, I think what he does more so is that he takes away some of the emphasis on Grealish and and he opens up space for him. And what I've tended to see is Grealish performing a lot better with Barkley alongside him. They they link up very well. There's a there's a, there's a clear on field and off field relationship there with the two of them. You know, they, they actually enjoy playing with each other. You can see that. And with Barkley, it's just those driving runs into the box. You know, there's there's no other player at Villa that can do that. So when he doesn't play, it's it's then all down to Grealish. And if Grealish doesn't do it, more often than not, Villa don't get the result they need. Notice you said there about the on field and off field uh, relationship they have in the papers at the weekend, weren't they for? Um having met up in London indoors when they're not supposed to. As far as you know, that won't affect them in terms of selection, etc. The club will just warn them of their responsibilities. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the pair are obviously, you know, very, very good friends have been for for a couple of years now. And uh, it, was, it was Barclay's birthday at the weekend. Uh, you know, the two of them were celebrating. Uh, and yeah, OK, look, it, you know, it's not the time to do it at the moment, but... Villa Bostein Smith will remind the pair of them of their responsibilities and, and you know, after, after, after breaking the, the social distancing rules over the weekend. Just looking at the um, away table earlier, and I think Villa have only conceded two goals away from home, albeit they've played um, one or two fewer than others. But are they, are they a particularly 
good away team? And if, and if so, why would that be? Yeah, it's strange, really, because it's it's a question I've asked I've asked the manager myself. You know, trying to trying to find out if there's you know why these patterns are emerging before the West Ham game. Villa hadn't conceded a single goal on the road. You know, they'd, they'd won three out of three, uh, three clean sheets. But, you know, it went wrong against West Ham. I mean, I couldn't tell you the answer, Tim, because Dean Smith couldn't tell me the answer. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, back that one straight back at you. <laughs> and in terms of Villa, when are they at their most vulnerable, would you say? I think it's when teams put it on them. I mean, what what you found in the first couple of games is that they've used the counter-attack quite well and to their advantage. But... I found that teams that have put balls into the box, they've struggled to deal with. Um, they've struggled to deal with pacing and in and behind them. And although, although the, you know, I'm looking back at it and I'm, th- I feel like I'm talking really negative about them, but it just feels because they've lost four of the last five games that they're on this little bit of a slide. But I think overall that you know the actual performances and the results considering Villa only stayed up by a point last season, have been pretty good. You know, they've won more games than, than they've lost. So I think they'll quite fancy their chances against Wolves, especially having seen Wolves defeat against Liverpool because um, I know you can't look too much into results, but, you know, Villa beat Liverpool 7-2, Wolves lost 4-0 to them. So they're going to use that <laughs> as, as, as fire for when they're... Are you, are you making a prediction here? <laughs> <laughs> what does that... What, what are the... Uh, what, what are the aggregate scores there? Is that 11-2? <laughs> Look, I've, I've covered some strange um, games and some weird results <laughs> as a Villa, as a Villa um, reporter, but, you know, I don't think I'll get that one. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it's a derby, but it's not it's not the proper derby. It's been like, the past couple of years, I feel like it's been really ramped up on social media more than anything since that since that championship uh, promotion season when, when the two teams were going at it. do you, How do the Villa fans view it? Is this the bigger game for them this season or would it be when they play Albion? To be honest, I don't think they care too much about the t- about either of them. I don't think Villa fans are particularly bothered about West Brom um, or Wolves. I mean, you know, West Brom uh, traditionally used to be the biggest derby be- before, you know, when Birmingham City was struggling. But for modern supporters, you know, over or under the age of 40, they see... Birmingham City is the you know the main derby, so these these games against Wolves and and West Brom coming up, there'll be that little bit of added spice because you know there always t- tends to be a bit of a social media to in and throwing, doesn't there, between supporters? But I think that's all it is really. I, I don't think there's too much in it, and you know I remember reading your piece I think last last year wasn't it, Tim, on on the you know on, on how the derby rivalry has been ramped up but I just don't think there's too much there I think we're just maybe playing on it a little bit more well I think the fans will be feeling it come Saturday morning in the build up to the game don't you worry about that but anyway thank you Greg appreciate your time you're welcome thanks guys looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
So, Tim, Wolves went to Anfield and afterwards the manager, Jurgen Klopp, was waxing lyrical about the fact that they had their fans in. They said they hadn't planned for it. They hadn't really talked about it during the week. He'd kind of forgotten about it. And then he said he had goosebumps, hair standing up on the back of his neck when they walked out. There was only 2,000 fans, but they were very vocal. And he was quite clear about the fact that it lifted his side. I was at Oxford at the weekend with 1,000 fans in there massively boosted their side and the fact that they play better than they have done all season but when Wolves run out at home to Villa they won't have the benefit of a couple of thousand fans because Wolves are in tier three so whilst it's nobody's fault as such it's just how it is how frustrating do you think that is from Nuno's point of view and from the Wolves players point of view and could that skew the league table ultimately I don't I don't think so and I think I think Nuno came out and and was asked before the game and after the game, you know, is it unfair that the other teams are going to get fans in and Wolves aren't? And he says just having fans full stop is, is great. And I think I agree with him, really. I'm not sure. Yes, Liverpool might have got a boost from, from playing in front of a couple of thousand in front of the cop, but I think Wolves should have had a bit of a boost as well, really, from playing in an atmosphere of any description for the first time since March. And that, that should heighten their senses and, and maybe boost them a little bit as well. I don't, I don't think it should all be... I don't think we should read anything into it that Liverpool won 4-0 and fans were back at the same time personally but it is a it is a crying shame that there are going to be no fans at Molyneux this weekend and you know without kind of getting too much into the data it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon either with a black country derby a month and a bit away I'd be wouldn't be very optimistic of getting fans in for that at this moment in time but we'll see but yeah I think it's definitely a positive that fans are in full stop and it's not going to be an ideal situation at this moment in time and, and different rules all around the country, but I'm, I'm just happy that, that there were fans there and I, I, I don't think it negatively impacts Wolves' performance, put it that way. And wouldn't it have been amazing had there been, what, 7,000 or so Wolves fans at Anfield when Conor Cody made that mistake? Was the poor lad putting it shut over his head? He needs someone to pick him up, didn't he? And, and Cody's given so much to the Wolves cause over the years and he's so idolised that just having his name chanted, they need to come up with a new chant, by the way, for Conor, but just having his name chanted yeah. would have lifted yeah. him, it would have helped him. Again, it's nobody's fault, but that's the time you just really wanted the fans to be able to make their presence felt and just reassure their skipper that, you know, they've got his back. No, you're absolutely right. Instead, he was getting boos from a few of his own. You know, Liverpool fans were booing him a little bit in the second half. Only a smattering, only a bit. I didn't mention it on Twitter because it was only happened a couple of times, but he, from a handful. Um, but he would have heard it and that would have hurt him. So, um, yeah, disappointing that. We solved the problem about um, about Liverpool wanting to sign him in January, didn't it? So <laughs> yeah. stopped all that. Yeah, um, but also I noticed that after the, the supposed dive, well, it certainly wasn't a penalty. I mean, I... I'm not being as harsh as everybody else. I'm saying it was blatant dive. I think he anticipated the contact, didn't he? But in terms of Jordan Henderson, I watched it back a few times on BBC iPlayer, Match of the Day 2, and uh, he has a right old go yeah. at yeah, Connor. As Connor's walking away yeah. after the ref points to the spot, he said, oh, Connor, that's, you know. Yeah, and Fabinho was laughing at him as well. Yeah, they were giving him some right stick. I felt, felt sorry for him, but it was a dive got to ask you about the kit we've talked about it before when it first came out we were pretty dubious then I came round to the idea that actually it was decent but that's because I thought from a distance it was black and gold and white and it's not it's navy and white with a bit of gold and I just kept watching Wolves at Anfield thinking they're playing in Albion colours how on earth has this happened <laughs> How on earth does that happen? I thought I thought I thought it was a bit of a light lighter blue. I thought more more of a Coventry blue than a West Brom blue. No, that's on the front. Oh, on okay. The, 
on the cuffs, the sleeves, the collars, oh. it's navy and white, which is I don't have anything in my house that colour. Oh, okay. On purpose, part of my daughter's school uniform. Yeah, that can't be helped. Yeah, no, same, exactly same here. And yet, wolves are playing in that colour. I went through a phase like this when I was uh, in my early twenties of refusing to accept carrier bags at Tesco. You know, when they have the the blue and white stripes. This is pre bag for life era. I would take my own terrible worn carrier bags to Tesco if I ever had to shop there. Just so honestly, this this is this went this was a running joke for years. Um. So no, yeah, completely agree. The kit, uh, I don't think it looked as bad as I thought it would, but my expectations were so low that they couldn't have. It couldn't have looked any worse than because I, I, I think it looks terrible in pictures. It looks slightly better on the pitch. My friend Jay compared it to one, the sky, and B, the Stone Roses' greatest hits cover album, which some people might recognise. And yeah, that's a perfect analogy. It's not the best kit, is it? <laughs> but it didn't look as bad as I thought it would. But why was it being why was it being used at Anfield? I mean, because usually playing in gold there, it's obviously marketing. That's kind of how it works, isn't it? But um, yeah, the feedback from Wolves fans. I don't know. Maybe they've sold a few. A few. I don't think they've sold many after last night's game. Put it that way. Right. Reasons to be positive. Wolves women are back in action on Sunday, finally, after their long break. FA Cup match at home to Starbridge at Compton. That's behind closed doors. Three o'clock kickoff. And follow at Wolves Women for updates. So good luck to Dan McNamara and the lasses there. They had to pause the season after a 100% league record. Six wins from six, plus 34 goal difference. So they're miles clear at the top of the table and hope they manage to pick up that form going forwards thank you so much for listening thank you tim some fabulous effort from you by the way in your articles the last couple of weeks absolutely brilliant do go on theathletic.co.uk for that and for our christmas offer as well to give your mate or family member free subscription to the athletic Uh, if you are already a subscriber then go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and we will be back with you next tuesday morning on your regular podcast platform bye for now (music) 